Yeah. Ah, whoops. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> I, I I said that because first of all, welcome to Red River Podcast. Um, the, you know, I like doing these random episodes every now and then. And to me, like I thought, hey, it would be a lot of fun to talk about debut records because there's a lot of great debut records. But I I wanted to like clip it to a decade so we're not going crazy. So I was like, like let's do the '90s because we we were all pretty much you know semi children of the nineties. Um, and, uh, then I thought about it, like people were bringing up hip hop records. I'm like, for people, like at least three out of the four of us that we listen to so much of it, it doesn't even make sense. We can't make that list. Yeah. You know, you can't make it work. So, um, we're just going to do rock records because it's just easier. And I feel like, uh, obviously with the exception of Parker, like the three of us could also do like a, a five, uh, you know, debut hip hop records at, at at a later time because it's just a lot to talk about. You know, that's what I think. So, um, okay, yeah. Um, I have a whole bunch of honorable mentions because there's a lot of really great records. Uh, they came out from ninety nine, uh, ninety to ninety, uh, ninety to ninety nine. But uh, <laughs> Joe, welcome back to like your hundredth episode with us. Um. <laughs> let's do let's do some um some some mention the records that you took off um even though they're not in the rock genre yeah, yeah because uh, like i mean like, we could throw them in honorable mentions yeah yeah um well until the uh time arises when we can talk about them a little bit more in a separate yeah, yeah. um hip-hop or r&b podcast now, when you first sent the invite out with the topic i i said boom boys to men coolie high harmony from 1991 you know everyone knows that it's got um motown philly and um it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday but it's got this really smooth like lead off track called please don't go which is like a quiet storm classic which again when you have a quiet storm show you got to call me because i'll be there so um, a, does anyone know because like i never heard of quiet storm until mob deep made it a song title do you guys know I, like i don't know what quiet storm is do you know langan Nah. Yeah, I only knew the Mob Deep track. Explain it, Joe. Quiet Storm is actually originates. It's um, it's a colloquial term for R and B slow jams, um, which everybody you know loves to use the term. It was originated by Smokey Robinson, um, I think in '76, um, "Soft and Warm" like a Quiet Storm. Okay, and it's your typical like bedroom sex you up kind of in a like knocking you know, boots. Smooth, yes. Late night so, body rock. Exactly. Right, right. So late yeah. 70s, early 80s, and into the 90s, the evolution of the slow jam, you know, um, coined that, coined that oh, it, it went on that term, quiet storm. Listen, um, so, don't, so don't, Mob Deep. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, don't let anyone tell you that you can't learn shit from this show because <laughs> within the first five minutes, you learn something. Yeah. So in Quiet Storm, I mean, Mob Deep coined it with Little Cam and, you know, it's... It is a quiet storm the way that song is, um, but the conventional usage for it in music is uh, your R&B slow jam um, banner that everyone does. The Luther Vandross and just to name a few, Sharday, New Edition, Bobby Brown, Johnny Gill, you know, Keith Sweat and on and on and so forth. So for anyone in Red River Universe who wants to discuss, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm willing. I am. Uh, it is my wheelhouse. We get you getting that. We'll call. get a sweater matching sweater vest on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so give give me give me some honorable mention records that didn't make your top five that you want to. Yes, put. yeah. So um, 
that was one of them. Um, and then if we're going to just dip a toe into the hip hop for a later date, but um, Brand Nubians All for One from 1990, um, just a tremendous record. Um, you know, not a lot of hit singles on there, but it's t- in terms of like genre, it's just off the heels of like the native tongue, even though they weren't or the ex- Afrocentric X-Clan type. It was like a nice combination and they had like slow down on that one, All for One. Um, Grand Puba was in there, Lord Jamar and Sadat X, um, who everybody knows from their solo work also, but Brand New been that one record where they stayed together, the first one, because they broke up after that, um, was, was tremendous. I also had, um, you know, I think I mentioned it to you earlier. I, you know, it was Brand Nubian, um, Boys to Men, and I forget what the third one was, but it was, it was Another also- a creation? That was that was 1981, <laughs> but I didn't really dig that album too much. Maybe that's yeah, the playground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then, um, and then the third one would be Bell Biv DeVoe's Poison. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, which you know that kicked off the whole new edition Voltron. You know, Bobby Brown is here, Ralph Tresvant is there, Johnny Gill is here, and Bell Biv DeVoe, you know, just blew up the whole new edition family. They got together on uh, MTV VMAs to do a reunion, and everyone did their whole like solo stuff, and then did the new edition stuff at the end. But you had Poison, Do Me. When will I see you smile again? Um, all which will be talked about later if there's a hip hop and R&B podcast for the '90s. Yeah, um, Park, Parker Parker recorded that uh, VMAs and taped over that portion. So probably, yeah. I think I <laughs> well, did that. On that same VMAs, I think <laughs> I, I want to say Van Halen did Pound Cake oh, um, on that well, same show. I definitely yeah. have that one then. <laughs> <laughs> power, power drill and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was and pretty, I remember pretty mind blowing. I remember that. Because I, I got the, I got the, I don't know if you call it photographic, but that same uh, in between breaks of that VMAs, Kurt Loder goes up to the band and is like, how do you guys feel after doing this number? You're all hot and sweaty. And Eddie was like, hey, we're not that sweaty. You know, take it easy. You know, kind yeah, of yeah. joke thing. Yeah. But I, I want to say that was 91, the 91 VMAs. I, I believe it because that's when that record came. I think it was yeah. like 1991. So uh, right. Parker, give me some honorable mentions before we hit your list. What are, what are we what are we looking for here? Like heavy stuff or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like whatever, what, anything. In, in, if it has a guitar, a bass and a drum. OK. Uh, this band, I actually got to see live, which was pretty cool. And I got to see them at Hofstra, which was even better. And I think the show cost a whopping two dollars, which was great. And floor, it was floor uh, punch. No, no. <laughs> um, it did have ex members of something close to that, though. <laughs> but uh, this was like one of the first all-star bands They they were like three ex members from like bigger bands. And they actually uh, headlined a show with a small band called inside at that point, which oh, was okay. pretty funny. And uh, this band, I still listen to to this day. And I still kind of think that the guitarist did better in this band that he did in his original band. So this band I'm talking about is called handsome from New York city. Oh, wow. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. and I fucking love this album. Good pick. That's yeah. 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 So um, so it was Tom Capone, you know, of Quicksand fame or whatever. And they only put out this one record. And yeah. it was this the it was the second drummer of Cro-Mags. It wasn't Mackie, um, but still great drumming. Like I said, I got to see them at Hofstra for fucking two dollars and uh, they blew my mind. That was the only time that I got to see them. When they came around, and like I said, Mike Malamo's uh, old band got to open up, and it was uh, pretty fucking mind blowing. That band. 
That's very, uh, Petey, Petey Hines, right? From, yep. From Murphy's yep. Law. Yeah, he's yep. a drummer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. So I had that. I had. Uh, I mean, if we're going to continue on uh, the hardcore realm, I mean, Earth oh, Crisis, yeah. Earth Crisis, All Out War came out. You know, which you know just led the whole you know vegan straight edge movement. You know, which blew up in Europe and Japan and all that other stuff. Uh, it's funny, like. Half the reason why I could never really get into hardcore when I first heard about it was, you know, the 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 recording and the mu- musicianship. And then I never heard um, All Out War or Firestorm, which were the first two albums. But then I heard Destroy the Machines and I was like, holy shit, this band can actually play their instruments. It's a good recording. And I went to go see them. If you ask me what hardcore band I've seen the most, it's Earth Crisis, not even close to anybody else. I've probably seen them about 25 times. Like are you it. are you getting in the pit during Firestorm? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No, no question. I mean, when we, <laughs> you know, when Sky Came Falling got asked to play Hellfest that one year and it was their last show, like before, like when they broke up and everything, that was fucking insane. I mean, there was like fucking 8,000 people in this club in Syracuse and it was fucking amazing. And I still listen to that band today. Obviously, you know, other albums of theirs. I got, I got, uh, a, I'll say this real quick. My friend Bob got married. Uh, yep. And he came out to uh, Firestorm. Firestorm. There you go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, if you want to jump into like the prog stuff now, sure. uh, Dr- Dream Theater Images and Words came out. And that was always, uh, you know, I, I still do like Rush, but I always took Dream Theater as kind of like my favorite prog band. Like I was like them more than like uh, Fate's Warning, stuff like that. And uh, when that first when that first album came out, um. You know, they had, uh, you know, the video that was on uh, Pull Me Under that was Pull on, me on. Yeah. Yeah. That was on <laughs> Headbangers Ball constantly. Yeah. That album. And uh, so was that it was 90? a good one. Was it I, think it, I think it was 90 that came out. Yeah. yeah. OK. Um, what else did I have? I mean, should have should have made it. But believe it or not, this is a great album. But then they got a better drummer and they did an unplugged, which I like better. So that's Pearl Jam 10. Wow. Great album. But that unplugged still, all you got to do is just watch David Bruzy on drums. Because what that guy took and turned it into still is fucking mind blowing. And how he's playing like a four piece and yeah. just the accents and it's fucking insane. That was a mind blowing uh, unplugged. Like it really yeah. was like everything. Yeah. Like to see those songs and they were like shredding on acoustics. Yeah. And like that, that was like, like, oh, I like Pearl Jam. But then you watch that and like, you're like, wow. Yeah. Like this, this is really good. Yeah. And then my last one was, uh, I, I don't know. I always dug this album. You know, it was by uh, three 15 year old Australian kids when it first came out. And that was Silverchair Frog Stomp. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, the, the MTV Awards, I remember like them playing live. I forget what year it was. It was whatever year that album came out and they played on top of uh, of the building, which was fucking crazy. And it's still on YouTube. So if you want to check it out, if yeah, they did uh Pure Massacre live, which is my favorite song off of that whole whole freaking album. So that might be yeah. 96. I think it was 96. 96? Okay. Yeah. Man, that 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 that's one right there for sure. Karen, uh, my girlfriend, always she likes like later <laughs> fucking silver chair, which is yeah. interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, like I hear it <laughs> and I'm like, he progressed like as a songwriter. Daniel Johns is his name. Yep. But uh all right, very cool. Uh yeah. Langan, do you have any honorables? Well, 
I missed the memo and I had hip hop on my list. So I'm, I'm doing this on the fly here. So bear with me. Um, Cause I can't imagine. We'll definitely do another show on hip hop. Cause yeah, yeah, 90s, yeah. 90s hip hop is so loaded. It's 90s ridiculous. debut. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so I would off the top of my head, um, I would say Opeth's uh, Orchid album. Um, I was never the biggest death metal fan, but the, they took uh, death metal and added a melodic flair to it. And uh, Michael Ackerfeld's just one of the best singers uh, ever for, for growling vocals and clean vocals. And they just did something different with the genre. Uh, Meshuggah's Contradictions Collapse, who completely started a complete new movement of metal and you know, degent whatever they want to call it now but like they had their own they came out of nowhere with that sound which obviously they've refined to a way more progressive thing that first album's a little more accessible for people that aren't feeling that real progressive mashuga um and uh the last one it's an ep but the the burn burn uh self-titled ep for okay. hardcore yeah, yeah. entry because I played the shit. Scott Jazombeck got me into that shit when uh, we started fucking around with the trip face shit. And uh, I, I played the shit out of it. It's amazing. Uh, hardcore record full of melody, amazing musicianship. And uh, yeah, that's my honorables. Cool. Um, all right. Yeah. So I got a whole bunch of honorables. I couldn't make up my mind. I, I, I really approached the, the top five as like a, as a musician, like what influenced me the most kind of, you know, like I'm like, OK, these are the ones that kind of blew me away. Uh, so I'm going to mention my honorables real quick. Uh, Radiohead Pablo Honey. Fucking phenomenal. Like I could listen to it from beginning to end. Everyone knows Creep. That's fine. The whole record is fucking amazing. Like the song You, brilliant. Like one of the best openers. I can't uh, a deep track. Amazing. Um uh, obviously, Portishead Dummy, I couldn't really throw in the top five, but I mean, I, that's almost like the hip hop one, you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't even make sense. So that, that to me is like the, like the gospel. Um, Jimmy World Static Prevails, mind-blowing. Uh, Ned's Atomic Dustbin Godfather, amazing. Oh, Catherine, Catherine Wheel Ferment, uh, Swerve Driver, uh, Ray's uh, Wilco had a record called A.M., amazing like later on really influenced like my songwriting that stuff alkaline trio one of my favorite bands on the planet uh but their debut record i like it's not my favorite of theirs but they put out god damn it get up kids put out four minute mile which is amazing but the, the sophomore record is a thousand times better i think fountains of wayne's first record uh pure uh power pop at its best uh the first queens of the stone age record amazing uh the first Civ record Oh, set nice. your goals is so good, man. So, so good. underappreciated banger after banger on there. And then the last honor, honorable mention I have is the first at the drive-in record acrobatic tenement, which mm. is uh raw It's just fucking raw uh, and fucking amazing. So, so can I circle back to my honorable mention since I just dropped R&B and hip hop and I, yeah. everybody else dropped some alt and punk and hardcore sure, sure. there. But um, you mentioned Civ, which I thought about that because it was just a great, what a great cassette. Yeah. Um, and I'll throw in, uh, since we're in that family, but um, the Walter Schreifel's family, I'll put in Quicksand uh, Slip from 93. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that's, I mean, I, and he wrote most of the Civ records. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Just a little quick thing on the Civ. Um, 
they cover Kraut's All Twisted on that. Um, and Kraut is in a story, a hardcore band who like gave most of us from Queens like our hopes and dreams to be, you know, in a hardcore band. And um, we actually covered All Twisted in our live sets um, in the late 80s um, with a lot of the Gorilla Biscuits guys sitting right to the side, you know, at shows we play with them. And we all adored Kraut. So um, when they, years later, when they covered All Kraut and put it on the Civ record, I was like, man, that's what a great idea, bro. But you know, you got that from us because we, nobody was covering Kraut until we did it. <laughs> awesome. And shout out to know, Outburst. <laughs> and so Sid was like, Sid was like, yeah, you're right. You know, but we all love them. So I wasn't going to give them too much grief, but we kind of brought crowd to the, the late eighties crowd. Just remember these guys they are from Astoria, Queens, just like the rest of us were. But yeah, that Civ record is, is amazing. Yeah. Very good. Uh, so let's kick it off. G- give me your number five, Joe, your number five debut album of 1990. Very cool. Are we going in kind of a, in, in preference order or just five, one, two, three, four, five, any five. Doesn't so matter, right? I, I did it in preference order, but it doesn't really matter because like who gives a shit, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, I want to say, was it Parker who mentioned 10? Right, Pearl yeah. Jam? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So but you mentioned the unplugged, right? So I'm going to go with yeah. 10, the disc, the actual disc that came out in 91. Um, it's just um, of those bands, I know like uh, Nirvana had come out in 89 and I think um, yep. Soundgarden, too. Yep. Um, but for, for Pearl Jam, this was their their first their debut record. And for fans of the genre, you know, I know people who, who like Nirvana, but don't like Pearl Jam, which is a common thing. Um, but I was just taking the whole Seattle scene. So, you know, throwing Alice in Chains and Mudhoney and, you know, all the bands of that um, of that genre in that city. Um, but for debuts, Pearl Jam's 10 was just amazing. And, you know, like like Parker mentioned, the, the, the Unplugged and there's just so much great stuff going on acoustically. Um, but for me, the record holds a place in my heart because of, you know, the musicianship and just the different feel that they had from, from bands like Nirvana and Mudhoney. You know, they were a little more, you know, I know it's been used a lot of times, but they, they're almost kind of like more thoughtful, like maybe Zeppelin-y or, you know, they, they didn't have the punk feel that Nirvana had. No, yeah, their, their, their musicality was into Like anytime, like I would get like the tablature on, on certain songs, like I would try to play like Jeremy and like the riffs were just different. It wasn't like these, yeah. like, you know, fast bar chords. It was like this, like, yeah, it, it was definitely more of, it wasn't even like very riffy, but it was, it was very unique for the time for me. It was. Yeah. And so like standout tracks to me, of course, once the way it leads off and it's just like for you, if you, your introduction to Pearl Jam is that little brooding intro. Right. And then they just, they just launch into once and then follow it up with like even flow and alive, you know, just there's changing tempos and Eddie Vedder is just singing his heart out. Um, black is a standout to me. You know, I once played in a cover band where they did black and I was like, man, there's a little time signature change um, in the pre-chorus. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty tricky. You know, if you hear it on rock radio and you know, never think twice about it, but then you get behind a kit and you try to play like, Oh, it's pretty clever how we did that. You know? Um, and it's got the line, I know someday you'll have a beautiful life. I know you'll be the sun and someone else's someone sky. Else's sky. Yeah. But yeah. Why yeah. can't it be mine? That's just a, that's a nut Amazing. kick right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Huge nut kick. And you're like, you know, when you're like 17, 18 hearing that, you're like, man, I've either been through that or I'm going to go through that. And it's universal, yeah. right? No matter what. Um, even, even you talking about it, I just think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good it's such that's, a great ballad it's number five for me too so i'll just jump in there but uh 
that you know that black is one of the best like ballads that i i've ever heard you know amazing porch yeah. there's so many good songs on it and in in the close of it it plays just such like a like such a piece like a an album you know what i mean like it, it, it of continuity to it it's just it's uh it's a perfect record yeah the outro right it's if the intro is the outro at the very end yeah um mm-hmm. and it just like it's almost like a like you were listening to a concept album like here's pearl jam's like story to you and it ends sure. the way it began you know Cool. So that's a lot of your... people like verses better, right? I do. I like verses yeah. better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a ten I... guy, but verses is great too. Yeah, verses is really good. Um, so that's your two number five. So Parker, give me number five. So number five, uh, my number five came out actually in '97, and it was on uh, Electra Records. And I remember whenever I fucking used to hear Electra Records, I was just thinking Metallica. Yeah, you know, because the black album, but this band sounds nothing like Metallica. This is one of those bands that everyone's just like, holy shit, you like this band, like the shit that you listen to. So, I mean, this is 97, <laughs> you know, Sky Came Falling is in full bloom. I'm listening to like Chaos AD, Southern Trend Kill, yes. Car- yes. Carcass, like all heavy shit. Somehow this album comes in. It had about five radio singles, this album. So, you know, I'm only listening to heavy stuff. And actually their last album that just came out actually made my best of last year. So I'm talking about Third Eye Blind self-titled album. Wow. Oh, yeah, it's a good record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great album. Great album. I was trying to figure Um, out. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, somehow this slipped through, you know, and made it through, you know, KSAD and Pantera and everything. (laughs) And I was just like, wow, man. I was like, this is just like boppy, catchy, like, you know, I'm into this and it's stuck by me. And I mean, the, the, I mean, the, not even this, the, the, the fact that the, you know, the radio hits are great. The whole fucking album start to finish is fucking great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. How long, uh, be, how long before you realized uh, that semi charmed life was about meth? I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I learned that actually until you brought that up like last <laughs> episode. Uh, <laughs> Yo, next time you listen to that song, listen to those yeah, lyrics. I will. I will. <laughs> I want to shout out. Uh, how's it going to be from that record? That's a, uh... A very oh, Dawson's yeah. Creaky song. Yeah. You know, you're like very, if you're in an emo mood, that's the perfect song to like uh, sit and look out the window on a rainy day and like, man, you know, and think of whoever, insert name here, uh, that, you know, that that song reminds you of. And how's it going to be when you don't know me anymore? That's that's a really, really profound lyric, you know, because it is. Yeah. Sometimes friendships fall apart or whatever, and you'll find out how it's going to be. But yeah, they, they, they sang about that. Yeah, heavy. Um, also, you know, got to bang uh, Charlize there on it at her uh, at her height. So shout out to nice to Steven. Right. Uh, my number five is a band whose sophomore record is one of my favorite records of all time. Um, and I couldn't I couldn't include their debut record, which came out in 1992 on Matador Records. I had to put it on my top five because when it comes to the music that I listened to primarily back then, like I was just an indie rock guy. I was a new hip hop and indie rock guy. Uh, and these guys uh, are called Pavement and the record is called Slanted and Enchanted. And when you think of like to me, like the term indie rock is such a weird thing. It's like anything. But like when you like anytime someone mentions indie rock, I just think pavement like automatically, you know, and uh this record is just, I don't know. It just taught me a lot about songwriting. You know, I, I, I absolutely love it. Like the, the, the kicker summer babe, 
um, is a banger in the mouth of a desert. Uh, and then there's like a really cool ballad with great melodies called here. Uh, and, uh, yeah, man, Steve Malcolmus, I'm glad to see them doing some shows again. Uh, hopefully I catch them on, uh, on this, uh, return. I remember going to see them at Lollapalooza. I saw them at the Academy. If you guys remember the Academy, uh, yeah. Yeah, great stuff, man. Huge. Like the first two records for me as a songwriter, very influential. So that is my number five. They had kind of a hardcore name, like, you know, in the age of like Helmet and Quicksand and the yeah. Pavement. You're like, well, that doesn't match the <laughs> yeah the sound, no. the name of the band, you know, the music. <laughs> yeah. When you put it on, you're like, oh, this is going to be heavy pavement. <laughs> yes. <Right. laughs> and then you hear like, you know, the first song, you're like, what? Right. Summer fuck? Baby. You're like, what is this? this yeah. Is not- yeah. No. <laughs> uh joe give me your number four uh okay so i'm gonna go uh, i'll do a lead in so this this band went on to be like you know all things like middle america white college 90s music uh, which my wife is gonna probably kill me for because she went to marquette in uh milwaukee wisconsin in the mid 90s when this band and bands of this genre i know where you're like going exploding yeah so you know she can't do rusted root she can't do like you know um it's it's under the table in dreaming dave matthews band okay um which she can't you know if we're in the car together it's got to come off she can't take it because it reminds her of, her of those days yeah in college but i didn't go to you know i was out of college by then and i was just digging the musicianship of uh dave matthews band and um under the table in dreaming sort of had like um a modest beginning it like i think it released like a their first single was wasn't even one of the hits but then they did what would you say with uh john popper from blues travel on the harmonica and you're like wow what is this is like some guy wailing on the harmonica and it's on z100 you know um and then you know satellite ants marching um and then warehouse is on that which is like a huge fan favorite of live show it's like eight minutes of just jam jamming out but um Everyone would know that this record for mainly Ants Marching, I think, because of the, the repeated radio play it's gotten over the years. Um, that band can play. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Carter is an amazing drummer. And I guess Dave, Dave Matthews' voice is sort of like in the realm of like a King Diamond or a Mustaine where like <laughs> you can tolerate it. Whoa. Yeah, hold on a second. <laughs> Wait, let, let me Stop let me the clock. Let me just regain my strength here after you can you just compare <laughs> Dave Matthews to fucking King Diamond. All right, I'm I'm ready. You can go on. Well, so you I'm 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 of the mindset that you either love you can tolerate at best, but you either like love it or or you know you can't have it. Yes. You can't hear it. Yeah. Like like nails on a blackboard with King Diamond. Oh, and Mustaine, you know, there's some singers <laughs> like that, you know, Billy Corgan, I know, too. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's I think Dave, I think Dave Matthews vocals are in that in that realm. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm a fan of them because they go so well with the groove of his music, you know. Um, so anyway, that's my number four. Um, yeah. He, shout out to shout, shout out to Carter for being such a badass drummer. He sings like the way I think Amy Joe. Uh, Butterfuco would say, <laughs> you know, like when I hear him, I'm like, all right. And the, and and it's funny that your wife is reminded of of the college years. But anytime I think of Dave Matthews, I just remember them emptying out their toilet off a bridge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what it reminds me. So shout out to that number four. So I thought, for some reason, I thought you were going to say the promise ring. I'm like, I think I know where you're going. Oh, yeah. No, there's a little more mainstream. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. 
but that's uh, in that's in that realm too for sure you said milwaukee so uh parker <laughs> number four all right man so definite uh summer album for me this one so this one came out in 94 on columbia records and it was certified gold in 95 so had the chance to see this band geez i think it was 2013 and they were playing kind of like a uh, like a summer reunion show with a couple bands. And I actually, funny enough, so this is a good story. So I did a post on Facebook saying, hey, what should I wear to this show? And I put a bunch of T-shirts up there and Langan, <laughs> and, and Langan actually hit me up and he goes, oh, hey, he goes, my buddy's playing drums for blank. And I was like, oh, I was like, that's cool. I've never yes. seen uh, I've never seen blank. But yeah. I, and then there's another blank opening and the headliner band. I can't fucking stand. So thank God I can leave before them. So who I'm talking about is Sponge. And I'm talking about this fucking masterpiece right here. Fucking rotting motherfucking pinata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this thing is a fucking banger. So Jeff Fab was playing drums for Filter at the time. Awesome. And uh, they played a show. So. Live opened, then it was filter, then it was sponge, and then like I said, I left before fucking Everclear because I can't stand that fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh this fucking my god, this this album reminds me nothing of but about fucking uh, it was either ninth or tenth grade, I forget uh what year I was in. But uh, you know, fucking Molly 16 Candles was a big hit, obviously. You know, they had a couple videos. I think there was three videos for this album. Raining? But, uh, was Raining on that? Uh, I don't know if that was on this one. I mean, Plowed obviously was on this one. Yeah. But uh, what a great fucking album. And I still listen to it today. Like I said, it's normally one of my go-to uh, summer albums, but Sponge Rodic Pinata. Shout out to Vinny Dombrowski, for sure, on this Hell one. Oh, yeah. He's the singer. Um, I just recently heard him on a podcast, so it's funny that you even mentioned that. Yeah. I have a lot of time. I'm like, I'll just listen to this guy from Sponge <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, yeah, that record, that record's fucking great. Um, and I gotta say, when primarily Molly, you know, Sixteen Candles, like whenever I hear that song, like that to me is one of those songs that like it's the essence of '90s alt rock. Like I hear that and I'm just like, it's like you open up a bag of, of, of chips or something and it smells like fucking 90s asshole. <laughs> like that's <suggests, laughs> like I hear I hear that song and I, I love it. it. It almost makes me time warp. I, I just remember sitting in my room like as a teenager, like that song brings me back. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good one. Uh, I want to say uh, Nina and Menasha, Nina Menasha. Those are two cities in Wisconsin. If we're going to go back to Milwaukee. Um I just knew that from trivia that, um, you know, Nina and Menasha are, are two cities in Wisconsin, just in like Wisconsin. Marquette, where my wife went to college, that, and she hates that Matthews. Just thought I'd put that Wisconsin thing in there. Shout out to Paul Molitor. <laughs> and, and Robin Yount. Yeah, Robin Yount. <laughs> Deep cuts. There you go. Langan, number four. Uh, my number four <laughs> is uh, Primus's Frizzle Fry. Nice. Uh, which came out in 1990. Um, just made the cut here. I remember, uh, you know, I was a big Possessed fan. And, uh, you know, yeah, when they Possessed broke up, I never th imagined Larry Lalonde, like, in a project like this. But, I mean, besides Les Claypool, uh, Tim Alexander is an amazing player. Larry Lalonde, you know, 
he he's capable. The guitar is not the primary instrument. Obviously, it's the bass. And I never heard <laughs> putting that CD on, hearing someone play that instrument like that, uh, was mind blowing to me as a uh, as a musician. It uh, I'd never heard anyone attack the bass that way. And it, in a way where he's it, you know like a Jaco Pistorius or certain guys like that, but playing like metal essentially. And not like funk metal, really their own thing. It was really like artistic and uh, an original. I just couldn't get over how original this band was. Shout out. Shout out to Primus. The story of, uh, I think it's some kind of monster where uh, Metallica asked him to try out. Um, Oh, yeah. Filling on bass and he was just, he just wanted to play funk with the guys. Yeah. (laughs) You know. I think they told him he was too good too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, he missed out. He could have been on uh Saint Anger. <laughs> he was before Primus. He did have a band in the Bay Area called uh, I think he played in Blind Illusion. And uh they weren't thrash per se, but like a straightforward metal band. But still, you can hear him lessen out in the back of it. <laughs> and it's just like this is a guy that was meant to just do. That, sail yeah. his own ship somewhere. yeah that's there. it he, no one could no band can hold this guy you know and you know he's a legend he's one of the best that's ever picked up the instrument sailing those seas of cheese um yes. so all right my number four is uh man when i when i heard this record this record came out in 1994 uh the video was probably on like 120 minutes and you know i never really cared much for like straightforward punk rock I never really cared for like hardcore, uh, obviously exceptions along the way. It was just shit that sounded like this. And this was Sunny Day Real Estate's Diary. Uh, when I heard the song Seven, I was like, I don't know what this is, but this is what I want to play. By that time, I was playing guitar and it's just uh, like, that's what I wanted to play. That Like I would hear that fucking album. And it's just like, as a guitar player, like Seven and Circles. And then you get to... Uh, you know, like just the record is just fucking brilliant. Um, song about an angel, uh, just just fucking blew me away, man. And and that band never, in my eyes, put out a record as good as that. So I kind of lost um, my love for them through the albums that came out after. There's some good stuff, of course, but like the the debut record is the goddamn banger. Diary, Sunny Day Real Estate is my number four. Uh, Joe, number three. I was just thinking about how to work the Foo Fighters in there because they're also '90s. But um, yeah, maybe, maybe they'll pop up the rest of you know. Maybe the they show. will. Maybe who they knows? Will. <laughs> um, number number. We're up to number three now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go uh, back to the grunge, but not Seattle. Just the sound and how many people thought that this band was kind of a ripoff or was just copping off of the fame of the you know the the Seattle scene, but um, they got lumped into the the '90s K rock of the time or the the alt radio because of just the genre and the sound of there. They were were they kind of metal and hard rock, but they also had a they could also fit into like the Nirvana kind of short melodic heavy stuff. Um, but I don't really, I never really thought of them as a grunge band. But um, it's Stone Temple Pilots with Core. Oh yeah, um, 1992. Yeah. Um, they, they, they got the unfortunate, you know, lumped in with those bands. But I think they were a little bit different than, than the, the Seattle uh, grunge scene. Uh, a, little, a lot more heavier. And, um, you know, they had 
songs like they would like like sex type thing you know and it's almost like a like a allusion to like you know i know what you want to do you want to have like this almost like i want to say date rape but like you know like i know you know what's on your mind that kind of stuff dead and bloated wicked garden um creep yeah plush the big one like those are all like radio yeah. staples at the time yeah you know? they were they were big fucking plush songs. was massive yeah. i mean that song was everywhere that yeah, was all that was also another great unplugged with fucking scott wyland in the rocking chair i remember yes that was yeah, another was. good one wow and I think the test of time, I think to me is like, like, it's just a little story. I was driving um, here in Long Island. They have a, I think it's 94.3, uh, the shark. And they've got, um, they're kind of like what K-Rock used to be, might've been back in the days. Where yeah, you're you right. That, you're, you're right. Yeah. Yep. You know, you hear stuff like that. You hear Offspring or like, you know, Metallica on there. And then I hadn't heard Plush, seriously, like in a long time, like maybe years. And I'm driving on Southern State and you know, plush comes on and all of a sudden I, I find myself singing to the words that to me, and I haven't heard that song or even thought about that song for so long. And I'm like, man, I forgot about how popular the song was that now it's embedded in my, you know, in my brain that I could just at a moment's notice say, you know, where are you going with that mask? I found, you know, <laughs> the words like that, that I hadn't thought about. I would, I would never like, seriously, there's like, I, it, it to me, like I, I sing the wrong li- lyrics to everything and that record in particular, that song, like there was a lot of shit that he would say on that on blush where I'm like, I don't know. To me, I thought he, it was like, where did you where did you find that donkey face or something like <laughs> like that's what I thought. But maybe it's mask. Maybe you're right. Um, yeah, well, we'll check that. You know, if you want to check out after the show, we'll, we'll confirm that. But, you know, but, <laughs> Are you we'll, have I think, we'll have Jamie yeah. fact check that uh, Cracker Man is another song that wasn't a single, I don't think. But it was another like, ra- you know, radio deep cut banger. Um, but that album from front to back was just amazing um, in terms of rock and, you know, debuts, you know. Yeah. When, when Sex Life thing came out, it, it kind of blew me away. Um, I loved it. Very simple. And those guys are really good. Like that riff is reminiscent of like Vaseline later on, like where it's like yeah. very mm-hmm. simple. But all those guys are fucking ringers. Every single like, did the DeLeo brothers and Eric Kretz are all massive players, you know, and that they they could do something like uh you know, uh, fucking sex type thing, or they could do something like Interstate Love Song, which is a little bit more, you know. But yeah, that that record yeah. was was huge. Like, like Dead and Bloated, actually, uh, that was the first song on the record. And when that right. came out, so cool. I'm like, uh, and eh. like I still know the words to all the songs on that shit. So. And then the snare drum kicks in. Yeah, just riffing and great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So all right, cool. Uh, Parker, number three. All right, so this is a uh, this is a Canadian band that just just snuck in because this came out in 1999 and it was on Revelation Records and I was never never a big Revelation Records guy, but I got a free compilation from uh, Lumberjack Distribution. Shout out to fucking Lumberjack from the 90s, man, and uh, listened to it and a bunch of the bands I knew it was mostly heavy shit. What a surprise! But then this song came on by this band and I was like, wow, once again lighter band that i shouldn't be listening to but it's got this fucking <laughs> it's hooky it's catchy and uh it's this band called by a thread and they're from canada and they only put out i think two albums the first one was in 99 then they kind of disappeared and came back in like 2010 i think but uh you know the the opening track is a song called surfacing and just uh 
just really fucking catchy melodic hardcore just something that i shouldn't be listening to but i love still to this day and like i said they <laughs> yeah like they only put out two albums the first one is definitely better than the second one um but yeah man buy a thread i love it i just they were, rev, they were a rev band you said they were a rev band yeah and they came out in 99 so they just made it and and Revelation didn't do like a reissue at some point along the way. No, no. I mean, they put this. They put the 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 track that I heard, like I said, was on like a lumberjack sampler, and then I uh, bought okay. the, bought the album from Lumberjack because I didn't know where the hell to fucking buy shit then. <laughs> and I was, I was like, oh, just I'll just send away this fucking catalog again. And uh, <laughs> you know, the guitarist I think played in this this band called Strain, which was like a heavier hardcore band. But uh, By a Thread was always always the best thing that they ever did. I got to say, in the 90s, I was hiding a drug addiction and Parker was hiding the fact that he was listening to melodic music. Dude, I'm telling you, it's all coming out in the open now. <laughs> Revelations here. Cool. Yeah. That's uh, Langan, number three. Uh, so now when I was making this list too, like I, I went by the kind of if it's not hip hop, uh, it's it's yeah, yeah. falling into the rock category. Yeah. So I'm going to have uh, Bjork's debut as my number three um i was a big fan of the sugar cubes i liked this i always liked her and, this uh, wasn't <laughs> yeah, look, there was some good they had some great stuff but i i like the direction she took with this which really uh i mean there was a, there was house music on it uh trip hop uh there was jazz on it it was very eclectic i think uh who produced it uh nelly hooper i believe um and there's tr human behavior, great lead off track, uh, come to me, beautiful, seductive song and uh, big time sensuality, which. Um, you I was a, close you know, your hand. Yeah. <laughs> As a raver in the 90s. And we had the video of her on the flatbed looking all cute, dancing in her uh, silver <laughs> dress. But uh, I actually I, one night at. Um, God damn, what club was it? I think it was at the Roxy. What was that place that was used to be a skating rink in Manhattan? Well, they called it something else. But anyway, uh, Bjork was dating, uh, who was it? Goldie. Oh, yeah. The drum yeah. and bass producer. Yep, yep, and yep. Tricky showed up. Yep. And they got in a fight, like right next to me and my friend. Oh, Tricky that's and Goldie funny. fighting well, over Bjork. Yo, you know what? I, I, I wasn't I sure if story. it actually happened. Because you know that <laughs> yeah. that time period wasn't the best yeah. for my brain, but uh, I I, ran, I talked to this girl that I was with, and we talked on Facebook. She's like, "Do you remember that time?" And I was like, "Oh, that did happen." And I was like, "Great, you know, that's that's validated. folklore. That's legit folklore." Because I remember yeah. always hearing it's like, "Oh shit, Goldie and Tricky were like beefing over fucking Bjork," and you yeah. just confirmed it. All right, yeah. here we go. Ah, it went down. Great episode. <laughs> You heard it here. Exclusive. <laughs> Kurt Loader, shout out. <clears throat> World star. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So that's a good one. I I'm gonna go with my number three. So as you know, someone like I said, I, I I'm looking at it from like a, a a growing songwriter or guitar player at the time, and I liked hooks and I like guitar based stuff. So to me, uh sugar, copper blue, there was like really nothing. Nothing better than this. Like when I heard helpless and, and if I can't change your mind, uh, they just fucking blew me away. So it's like Bob mold from Husker do's band after uh, it just, it, for it's just what I wanted out of music. I think it was from like 1992. 
And it was just at the right time, I guess I was like 14 playing music. And I was like, yo, even if you have melody, you could still have fucking thick, awesome guitars. Doesn't always have to be a power chord. Um, and this record taught me a lot about songwriting and I'm forever indebted to it. And, and it still sounds amazing. It still sounds so good. Yeah, I listened still, to it like maybe a few months ago, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. So, you had uh, said um, about opening up a bag of Doritos and it smells like 90s asshole earlier. Yeah. <laughs> this is like you open this up and you smell uh, when you when you play sh- uh, Cobra Blue, you, you definitely think of well, I do. I think of like MTV's Buzzbin or 120 Minutes. Yeah. And you know how mm-hmm. um, if I can't change your mind, you know, yeah. it was all, like the the hot tr- the hot track like up up and bubbling under, I think they called it. Yeah. Um and then when it hit you're like, "Man, this is an amazing song." And I went out and bought the tape. Um, yes. Great lyrics. Yeah. I mean, if I can't change your mind, then no one will. Like that's yeah. pretty much right. That's like yeah. a credo right there. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. 120 minutes. And uh, shout out to John Sencio. Shout out to Louis Largent. Louis <laughs> Largent, yeah. Louis Largent was like a, a big wig at MTV. I never knew that, but yeah. Uh, so that's my number three. Shit, we're down to number two. Joe, give me number two. Um, I'm going to go with uh, a, a female artist. So I think the first one here, maybe. Oh, no, Bjork was. Okay, so staying with the female theme. Um she first got her break singing for Michael Jackson on the Bad Tour um, for I Can't Stop Loving You. And, um, you know, fast forward to like six years later, and she's got this album that kind of like was a slow starter. Like the first single didn't really do much with anybody. Um, but then the next single was like Leave in Las Vegas. And, and then from there on, it was like just a, a bum rush of like radio single after radio single. It's Cheryl Crow's. Tuesday night music club. Wow. And, um, you know, <laughs> we've done like, you know, all the heavy bands and earth crisis and, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> Opeth. And here I am with Cheryl Crow's Tuesday night music club. <laughs> but, but as far as like, you're talking about songwriting or, you know, catchy lyrics or, you know, just hooks that were good enough to make it on, you know, mainstream radio, this, this had a lot of them, you know, um, um, with the big one, obviously no, no, everyone knows all I want to do is have some fun, um, which kind of got oversaturated after a little while. And you're like, uh, I got to turn the station from from hearing this. But it was a good kind of like, you know, folksy number. Yeah, and then it's a great she, song. Yeah. She followed it up with like, you know, Leaving Las Vegas was the, the one that was kind of broody, um, moody, and it had like a good message to it. Um, Strong Enough, the ballad and Can't that's Cry a, Anymore. That's a good song. Strong Enough is great. Yeah. Strong Enough is really good. And can't cry anymore is my my like dark horse of that album because it's not played out enough where you're like i can't listen to this anymore but it's like you listen if you haven't listened to it in a while you're like oh i could dig this you know then i, I might even repeat it you know because it was kind of up up tempo and um you know it's kind of talky singy and and she had that way about her it's like you know she didn't have to sing everything but it was you know she got big after that a lot bigger you know she was like a really 90s artist because i don't know what she did really in the 2000s but Tuesday Night Music Club and the, the I can tell you I can tell you what she did. She did a song with a uh, Kid, Kid Rock. Rock. <laughs> oh yeah, picture is it picture? Yeah, that took that took up her whole decade. She actually had a song. <laughs> it so takes a lot out of you. Any Cheryl Crow or Sting fans out there? Um, they had a song called uh, "Always on Your Side." I think it was from 
in the mid 2000s. Maybe it was after picture. Um, and it's a nice warm ballad between her and Sting. Um, so she did. I know she did have life after the 90s. But um, yeah. yeah, there's my Listen, two submission. Remind me to send you a prize for being the first and only person to mention Cheryl Crow on the show. <laughs> Ever? Yeah. That's awesome. Maybe. I don't know. We got to think of a, of a RRP prize for you. So I might have another first coming up. So just wait. Uh-oh, <laughs> Parker, number two. <laughs> All right, I'm done talking about fucking pussy shit. So yeah, fucking, that's it. I'm, it is- I'm gonna I'm gonna get heavy over here now. So probably about three weeks ago in the in the Red River Room, I I put two albums in there, and I said I don't know how either of these bands they can get bigger, and they were both debut albums. So this is gonna be the first one. So this band came out in '95. They were on Metal Blade, and uh, oh, I already dr- know. Yeah, and the drummer came from a big band. And uh, I remember his old band getting interviewed by Ricky Rackman on Headbangers Ball saying, so what's he up to? And they were just like, oh, he's dead. He died, you know, just talking complete shit on him. And Ricky Rackman was like, oh, he's like, I heard that he's he's already doing this new band and the album's coming out. And they, they were actually kind of like taken back, like, oh, shit. Like we thought like after like we kicked him out, like that's going to be the end of his career or whatever. Um, band I'm talking about is Grip Incorporated. And yes. Dave Lombardo joined this band after Slayer. And uh, brutal drumming on this. I mean, the the opening track is actually this track called Torque de Muerto, and it's all percussion. And I laugh because I know that Slayer would never let him do that. <laughs> so I think yeah. opening with that, it was kind of like a spit in their face. And, uh, you know, it jumps right into the, these brutal songs like Savage Seas and Hostage to Heaven. And it's got some of his, honestly, some of his best drumming on there. I Monst- mean, Monster Among Us, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have no problem saying pe- people know this about me. Like, I love Lombardo, but I think the Bo Staff is better. Like, my favorite Slayer album is Divine Intervention. Hands down. That opening fucking track, Killing Field, sounds like he's got fucking 10 limbs, that fucking guy. But nothing <laughs> to get... But I'm still a Dave Lombardo fan. So when this came out, you know, it still had the parent advisory sticker on it and all that shit. And I remember I bought it in the Poconos and I'm playing it in my parents' truck. And I'm just like, this fucking thing is fucking insane. And I still nice. listen to it today. Nice flex that Poconos yeah. flex for us. That's it, baby. That's it. <laughs> Beautiful awesome. man. Every lunch. That's it. Yeah. Also, I got to say, I, I love that you picked that as your number two threw shade on him by saying Bostaff is better, but then you pulled it right back to give him some more love. So say there we go. <laughs> build, break, build, baby. <laughs> you <Bill's> character. <laughs> All right, Langer, number two. <laughs> uh, I got my favorite band of the Seattle crew there, uh, Alice in Chains, the facelift album. And um, we got... Yeah, I, I was working at uh, uh, Record World when it, whatever it was called then record world square circle whatever the fuck but uh i remember we got the sent the promo of it you know so we could play it in the store and it was something like the the people who liked heavy music that worked there or people that like you know indie alternative whatever you want to call it back then like we all kind of agreed on it there was just something in it for everybody it was it was really a, a a sign of the times too of the changing of like what was popular and heavy music you know it uh coming out of the eighties and into a new era. And it's just, it's such a, a massive record. The songwriting is incredible. Jerry Contrell is one of the greatest songwriters ever. He the, is. Harm, the harmony, Lane Staley's voice alone is, is, was so unique and amazing and drew you in, but the harmonies with Jerry Cantrell are superb. Um, 
it's uh, it just it just it, it it blew me away. I'd never heard anything like it. And, and Man in the Box, that what a great like perfectly written song that crossed over rightly so. But uh, probably my favorite song in the album was the one that they used on uh, uh, the single soundtrack. Well, it wasn't on the soundtrack; it was in the movie. It ain't like that. But um, great song. It's a perfect record. Yeah. It's a great statement yeah. record, and for an amazing career that unfortunately stopped too short with Lane. But I mean, what a second act they had! With, second act uh, for sure. Yeah. You know. Bleed the freak, right? That's a great song. Yeah, there's so many good ones on there. Mm-hmm. See a sorrow. Uh, we die young, like Sam mentioned. Love, hate, love, killer. Did, did I mention it or did I sing it? <laughs> <laughs> I sung it, right? True. Yeah, True. So, I doubt uh, my cat. <laughs> yeah, to me, their harmonies are amazing, always were. And then that's what allows Jerry to basically still kind of sound like them because he sang so mm. much. Like sure. there's so much like Jerry sings like almost everything. So at that point, you're just adding in like that extra layer. So they're, they're like oh, the yeah. they're like Simon and Garfunkel with uh, distortion, basically. <laughs> That's what I think. Uh, great record. My number two man. Game changer. 1994. Uh, the blue album Weezer. Like when this record came out, it, it was just another one of those things where it's like now I want to fuzz pedal. Now I want to play thick fucking power chords and the bass player needs to play like the guitar tone on this record 10 songs i remember when this first came out i was heavily into drugs and they played irving plaza and a whole bunch of us went and uh we all did heroin in the bathroom i nodded off i don't remember anything about the show i was there (laughs) i remember they came out to magnum pi i don't remember anything else i just remember waking up and then being driven home in the back of some van so wow (laughs) but other than ambulance (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) well what i will remember this is shout out to two of my friends uh this is before i i i I had anxiety about being in a car with someone driving that was completely out of their mind uh but he was nodding off as he was driving but we didn't care we were just in the back and he was like swerving and he told my friend who was sitting next to him he's like yo if i fall asleep grab the wheel (laughs) 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 now that shit would terrify back then i was like yes I'm in the back, just laying here. Uh, At least but, he was present enough to set up like an emergency plan. Totally. Like, you know. Yes, they're both doing very well. Everyone in that car. Uh, <laughs> very well, for sure. But this record, uh, you know, I remember hearing uh, Undone, the sweater song, and thinking like, okay, that's fine, whatever. Like you see it on MTV, you're like, it's fun, catchy, but it wasn't like, oh, I need to hear this. And then one day we were hanging at my friend's house and he had the cassette and he played it and we would just listen to it. And uh, it it was just amazing. Like, I remember one day, like, you know, we were listening to the record and and the song uh, The World Has Turned came on. And then all these songs, I was like, yo, I'm like, every song on here is fucking great. Like, every song is great. I was like, what is this? He's like, oh, it's Weezer. I was like, oh, my God. And from that moment on, it's just like the blue album. The blue album. We would just listen to it. So that's my number four. It's just fucking fantastic. Can we just shout them out for bringing Happy Days back into the consciousness with the Buddy Holly video? Yeah, <laughs> that was a you know, a, a gr- amazing piece of like you know, cutting in between you know real Happy Days footage and the band and them playing at Arnold's. Mike Jones, oh, yeah. right? I think. Yeah, Spike Jones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, shout out to Pat Morita. Uh, definitely, <laughs> it still bothers me for for not making him not like. I wish he could have seen Cobra Kai. That's what I wish. Yeah. So 
if I want to, if I want to turn the episode very somber, you know, <laughs> you know that he was not supposed to be like, he had to like audition for that and he had to put on the fake accent and everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was a struggling comedian in Hawaii or something like that. So yeah. Yeah. No, no he spoke perfect English. Like he was like, whatever it wasn't. Anything. Yeah. Like, like you and me right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He'd be like, yeah, I fucking, you know, suck my fucking dick. Jay Leno. What the fuck? Shout out to collision course. That was a banger. Yo, that's right up, up. That's up on HBO max right now. So yeah. Yo, Listen, even the last song, only in dreams, doom, 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 do, do, doom, 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 do, do, doom. Ah, that shit bangs. And then here's another thing. The lyrics to this are, are, are lyrics, maybe the, the second record, Pinkerton as well, but he has never been able to recreate the um the genuine uh emotion behind these words uh like uh, in in the garage he would talk about like you know being a fan of kiss and like dungeons and dragons and it, it came off as kind of like real now he's just doing some caricature and it's just kind of like goofy you know he's like a parody of himself but like a lot of this stuff you know uh on this record it was just so genuine and and, and i do miss that part of it so has um has anyone seen the uh, SNL skit with uh, Matt Damon and Leslie Jones where they yes. fight about Weezer past and yes. present? Yes, it's that's a really funny. Oh my god, yes, that's a good one for sure. Um, number two, no, number one. I don't know where are we. Is it number one? Oh, number one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. doing number ones. Okay, <clears throat> so you heard Cheryl Crow back a little while ago. <laughs> this may be another first, <laughs> but um, this album owned 1995 and. You know, a little bit less uh, nails on a blackboard than the Dave Matthews that I mentioned at number number four. But um, this was a monster, so much so that it's it's the kind of thing where you can hear a single on the radio today in 2022 and you'll still know most of the words. Um, I bought this on cassette and I want to say it was from Musicland, Sam Goody. That's how much I remember the 90s. And this record, because I just heard one single based off of the radio and I'm like, all right, what you know, whatever. They, they put it on sale. $8.99 can't be so bad. I'll put it in my tape deck. And it never left my tape deck, like from front to back. Um, and even before songs that were on this tape became singles, I was like, this is really great stuff. And, and I'm not really sort of into this, like, you know, folk rock acoustic. That wasn't my thing back in the mid nineties, you know, more like heavy stuff like Parker said, or, or hip hop, like Langan said, but, but it's, um, I'll stand by this as one of the, my favorite albums of the nineties, if not all time front to back. Oh no, I tracks. know exactly where you're going. <laughs> yes, do it. Yes. I'm <laughs> this is, will this be a first? Yeah. It's the, be a first. <laughs> I just preface it with, um, I, a little story because, um, my wife and I, we, my wife and I had these, this handshake deal because she wanted me to go see Joe Coy. Um, do a stand-up routine. Joe Coy, for everyone who doesn't know, was Filipino-American yep. comic. Um, and I wasn't really keen on his stuff. I mean, he, I like what he, I mean, I admire him, but, you know, his stuff doesn't, like, split my sides. But she really loves him. So I'm like, well, I'll go to that if later this summer you go with me to see Hootie and the Blowfish at MSG. And so a handshake deal was struck. Um she drank her way through the whole set. Bare Naked Ladies opening, by the way. So it was total 90s. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, my number one is Crack Review by Hootie and the Blowfish. Um, anyone who <laughs> hates them can't, can't deny them. 
Um, if you're a fan of this band, you're like, well, I remember that. that they, what a debut, right? Yeah. I don't know how many times platinum it was. 17. Went. 17 uh, times platinum. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, way more. 17 more than me. That's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, based off the singles, the radio singles. But if you really go into the deep cuts, you know, Darius Rucker's got a great soulful voice. Um, so, so versatile, in fact, that he was able to, you know, branch off and do some R&B. Uh, become a huge country star on that voice. Burger King. But um, yeah, Burger King, the the, <laughs> the the bacon tender crisp cheddar ranch. I think it yeah, was. Yeah. I think that sounds about right. <laughs> this is such minutiae. It is. Yeah, it's the, ten- <laughs> it, it's the tender crisp bacon cheddar ranch, yeah. and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders are in that commercial. Film wants to YouTube that. But um, hold my hand was the the first single, uh, MTV staple, Z100 staple, which at the time you know Z100 was a pop station. And here they are playing like acoustic rock. Um, and then everybody knows the rest, you know, let her cry. Only want to be with you. Um, where there's a line in there for any sports fans out there. When he says, I'm such a baby, the Dolphins make me cry. Like, just stick your favorite sports team in there. Because I'm sure if you're a hardcore sports nut, your team has made you cry in your lifetime. So that kind of hits home. Um, time. Um, I'm going home. And then a hidden track at the very end of Crack Review. Um, is the um, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. It's not it's not in the listing, but motherless child is like an old like plantation like um, African American like gospel kind of song, um, and it's just Darius doing acoustically singing. I feel like a motherless child, and it kind of like you know here you are like listening to all this stuff, and then at the end if you let the tape play, you figure the the Ted song it's over, but then no it's not because it's eleventh song and it's a motherless child, which is really really soulful. Um, but yeah, you, know, you were going to say I had like a backward message or something. We're going to, we're, as soon as he finishes here, he's going to run it backwards. The, let it let us know. The, the funny, the fun to, to finish up the story about the MSG and Joe Coy handshake deal. We're in, we're in Madison Square Garden 2019 and hooting the blowfish break into fight the power by public enemy. And there's Darius singing the lines of Chuck D like word for word. And I look around me because I, of course, I, someone like me knows Hootie and Public Enemy, right? But not everyone around us do, does. And the, the confused faces, I wish I could have just taken pictures of those faces <laughs> as, they, as they're singing John Fight the Wayne. Power. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it was like, you know, our freedom of speech is freedom of death. We've got to fight the powers that be. And he's going to the crowd like, let me hear you say. And only a few of us are like, fight the power, you know. But, you know, shots Darius for like doing that on tour. I'm sure they did it every night on that tour. Yeah. But um, but yeah, crack review, hitting the blowfish. There you go. Number one. I want to shout out Dynamite Hack for doing it first. Um, <laughs> I also want to shout out uh, the drummer with no shirt on for whatever reason. I wish he would just put a shirt on during that video. <laughs> but I uh, weighed like 60 pounds, that guy. <laughs> and uh, Darius Rucker for basically, you know, flipping that career and, and keeping it going. So. Definitely, uh, you know, and listen, those songs are all catchy. They they are like, I don't know the record, but every single there must have been four or five singles from that record. And and I could I know them like you. Do you tell me the name and automatically I just hear the the dolphins, all that shit. So. All right. Number yeah. one. Yeah, that's it. That's that's uh, first time, man. We got to We got to send you two gifts now. There you go. Yeah, we owe you. <laughs> Parker, number one. All right, this band did not go 17 times platinum. I'll tell you that right off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) 
They were, however, on Epic Records in 1993. So this was the other band that was in that uh, little thing that I put in the Red River Room saying that, you know, how did this band not get any, any bigger? You know, so this band had two ex-members of one of the biggest metal bands from the 80s. And uh, they released three uh, three videos from this album. They played Headbangers Ball live a bunch. And uh, funny enough, the guitarist of this band is actually in a pretty big metal band now, kind of like a, I don't want to say a, a joke metal band, but they kind of are. So uh, the band is called Fight. The album was War of Words, and it was two guys from Judas Priest, Rob Halford and Scott Travis. And the guitarist I'm talking about is Rush Paris, and he's actually in Still Panther now, funny enough. They got oh, wow. the guitar in this album. That's what I thought. And, yeah. yeah, and uh, what a fucking heavy album this is man i mean from from the beginning to the end i mean into the pit into nailed to the gun the first two tracks are like the one two punch and just does not let up this album i mean it's got songs like contortion and kill it and just fucking heavy drumming heavy guitar i mean i never thought that i would like this because i was just like how am i going to deal with double bass drum with rob halford's you know vocal style singing on top of it but just somehow it works you know, and I still break this out every once in a while. And uh, this is one of those bands that I wish that I saw live. They were just, you know, not around enough. And uh, yeah, man, fight war words. Oh, yeah. I remember that record. I could, like soon as he left, you know, because no one yep. were like, "Why you're going to leave Priest after Painkiller? What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. But Priest, but Painkiller was kind of a step in that direction of like, you know, the more aggressive kind of. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah that opening you know, track is that crazy. fucking record. All like touch of evil on there. There's a banger sure. on there. Um, cool. That's it. Langan, number one. Um, all right. Before I give my number one, another um, honorable mention, I forgot to mention this band, uh, criminally underrated band. They weren't that prolific, but uh, Curve, uh, the, song, the album Doppelganger, they kind of fell off the planet. A lot of uh, publishing problems and, and with the record labels, so you don't see them on a streaming services, but they were an amazing electronics shoegaze band, pretty much what garbage owes their entire yeah. career to that band curve. But um, uh, my number one, Sam mentioned it earlier in his honorable mention. I know he was saying it was kind of like hip hop, but it's uh, Portishead's Dummy yeah. from 94. It's um, I, I could see how it would fall into that camp, but again, like uh, if it wasn't pure hip hop, I, I put it on this list because my hip hop list would be so loaded. So well, let me ch- let me check with the judges. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll run it upstairs and see what they. But uh, yeah, just the the timber, the sound, the atmosphere. This, I mean, it's drenched with atmosphere. It's a sound. It's a soundtrack to like a, a movie that doesn't exist. It's so like theatrical. Uh, the Beth Gibbons' voice is ethereal. It's amazing that the scratches with the Andy Smith in there, the cuts that give it the hip hop feel. It was just so everyone I knew, like, found something they liked in this record. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, I don't know anyone that didn't like this record back in the day. It's, uh, I, I wish, you know, and they followed it up with another great record that Live at the Roseland album. And then that third one wasn't exactly my cup of tea i always it's one of those records i always want to go back and listen to to see if i was missing something and every yeah. time i do i'm like yeah i don't yeah. know it's just not there 
different. You know, th- you know it was like 17 years, la- a lot of years later. And it was just like they weren't so much later. You know, yeah. And, and I was I, 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 sorry, that was 94. 94. I want to yeah. say before you continue um, that there's some certain records. And back then, like, you know, you uh, would get in your car and you mm. would put something on uh, or you'd be at home and you put something on. And you knew exactly the the shit that you knew that people were gonna be like, yo, what is this? And Portishead Dummy was yeah. that record that anytime you put on, most people didn't know that, and they were always like, yo, what is this? And I'm like, oh, yeah. this is Portishead yep. Dummy. Yeah, it, because it, it automatically people were like, this fucking rule. So yeah, but, but my my introduction to that was I, I remember I was walking around in Tower Records um, back when there was a Tower Records, and they would always close at midnight so i was living in queens and if you looked at the clock and it was like 10 o'clock like i still got some time to drive into the village and and do some shopping right that's how it was with me like you know they close at midnight and the later you went the more like off the beaten path stuff that they would play over the system and it was uh sour times i remember i remember asking the guy like what is this what are you playing right now yeah 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 you hear that and you're like what like it's just it's 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 one so with, without a doubt, without a doubt, one of the greatest records ever made. Without a yeah. doubt, without a doubt, like yeah, that. That 100%. is just. I mean, it had masterful. it had a lot of influence too. I mean, look at even still, I, just on the end of the year show, we're talking about Hustler, Hust Kingpin. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you're right. Album, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know, in tribute to this, yeah. like oh, I'm going to send it to Joe. I'm, I'm going to send this Joe. I, I don't think you've heard that record. Uh, this yeah, dude, uh, this dude made like a like a Portishead tribute record. Oh no way! Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's awesome. Great band. I, I just wish we got more of them. I was fortunate enough to see them live um, at the Hammerstein. I think they played. Yeah, I was working at Island Records, and I think London was like the floor below us, and some guy had free tickets, and I was so lucky to see them play. And that they were just a comet for a brief period of time. But yep. man, what a discography, you know? Like Hootie. Like Hootie, for exactly sure. like Hootie. That's what I was thinking. Uh, like Hootie and fight for sure. Definitely. Yeah, man. <laughs> From fight to Hootie. Um, uh, so my number one, uh, last record here is, uh, I mean, man, game changer, quicksand slip. As a guitar player, watching uh, Tom Capone play his lead during Dine Alone, uh, it tasteful. Like he wasn't shredding. Like to me, watching this in '93, watching the video for Dine Alone, I'm like. You know, you're so used to people like Ingve or anyone, like even Kirk Hammett, like, but th- the riffs that Walter played were so bouncy because they had that New York hip hop like influence to them. Uh, and then the leads were great. And it was just this really dark record. And I know they don't, they don't like the, the actual um, uh, sound of the record, but it doesn't matter because songs are amazing. Uh, and just like o- omission was another banger, uh, freezing process. Everything about this record was just so ahead of its time. Like everything Walter does, Walter is just uh, on, my, on my Mount Rushmore of songwriting. Uh, and Slip is just a masterclass. Uh, when I think of the 90s, this was by far my favorite debut album uh, of that decade. So shout out to Quicksand Slip. And uh, that four song EP that, that came out before too, which which I think had omission and maybe like yeah. a Smith's cover was on there too. So also on Revelation. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. But man. That, I think to add to your just a little background on your yeah number one pick, but um, I think what took everybody surprise by surprise at least 
locally in the hardcore scene is that he had just done Gorilla Biscuits. You know, he does Warzone, he does Youth of Today, and he even did Outburst once. Um, but then he switches gears and does this complete like 180 on his musical style. And he finds the players to get the feel that he wanted for, for that whole record. And it just like, you know, on the hardcore scene, there are a lot of people who are like, well, Walter's cool, but I don't know if I like this. And then it grows on you hmm. the more you listen to it, you know, because it, it wasn't hardcore. It wasn't Gorilla Biscuits, you know, which I think was the, the unintentional, I don't know if it was, maybe it wasn't, genius of, of Quicksand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just a quick story. In 20, 2018, I was in um, Brooklyn Bazaar to check out this band, um, Initiate, from Southern California. And they were they were warming up. And they were the bassist was warming up to a mission. Like, do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wait, I know that song. Because I was talking to somebody. I'm like, I know that song. What is that again? The more he kept tuning up to it, I'm like, oh. So I recorded a little bit of it. And then I texted Walter. I'm like, hey, dude, there's this like no, like really like unknown band in Brooklyn right now, but the basis is warming up to you. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell him later that I told you this. Yeah. And he was like, that's amazing, man. You know, yeah, yeah, just like awesome. small, how small the world is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that great baseline too. Yeah. And, and uh, man, it just, everything that he's, he's had his fingers in for sure. But uh, th- this one, uh, I just, it might have even been MTV. Like I remember just watching Dine Alone and thinking, like, wow, <laughs> like what the fuck? Like this is just yeah, it's so like I it was just something completely different, you know. So I love that record. Uh cool. Yo, best records of the nineties nice. in the bag. Said it all. Yeah, we said it all. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> Joe, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, oh, thanks for having me. I, I've loved chatting up with you guys about almost anything, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that quiet storm. Keep me in mind. Going. Yeah, we're we'll getting back to the hip hop episode. Oh, we got we got to do debut oh, debut yeah. '90s hip hop, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, it is like Langan said, '90s is the '90s is stacked. It's its yeah. own. Stacked. It's its own record store. Yeah. So cool. Pretty much. All right, guys. Yeah. Later, man. Namaste. Later. <laughs> All right.